Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 179. At the end of the episode, I will be sharing a short story from Somber Stroll. This week we will go with Crossing the Line. I think next week we will go with... I forget what it is. Something about a wish, ultimate wish. Can't remember the name of it. But we'll play that because it's about a concert. And next week, I'm finally seeing Rammstein. So that concert was supposed to take place before the pandemic. So it's kind of cool to go see them now. And then in, I think, two more weeks or two weeks after that, we get to go see Knotfest as a family. That's going to be a lot of fun. My son's excited about that. He's gone to a concert before. Not as big, not as many bands, but... I think he is ready. So that's what's going on there. I have been full speed into Death Fest. I'm loving that story. It is flowing just like I do with every other book I work on. I think I go through a phase where I'm like, fuck, do I know what? Like, am I going to be able to write it? And I'm writing this with Glenn Heaton. So we're doing it together. That is super helpful because what I'm doing now. I'm just blasting through what he's already given me. I'm, you know, I'm not really putting, lots of it I'm not even putting in story form. Like if anyone was reading it, they'd be like, okay, here's a lot of ideas. I'm telling them, okay, they do this, they do this. Here's a line of a song. Let's do a snippet of song. Here's a song title. So we're just going back and forth like that. But it's pretty cool creating like that. It's flowing. It's being efficient. And yeah, I'm excited about it. I think, so now I know the full story. Almost done with the main path. And then I would jump on the rest of the death scenes. We already knocked out the first third of the book, the death scenes and the main path. So I think I don't have a whole lot of death scenes left. And those are going to be pretty quick to write. And that's a problem I've had with other books too, where from now on, I just want authors working on, we're just going to knock out the main path of the book. Not worry about death scenes because the death scenes are super easy to add in later on. So, and I think they can kind of slow down the writing. So that's been awesome. I will meet with Glenn to talk about that. Nico's book, Try Not to Die on the Rhine, that is going well. I meet with Nico generally every Sunday. Sometimes we don't, and that's through Zoom since he's in Germany, but that's super helpful. I had a meeting with my nephew, Luke, about trying to die in the Second Civil War. He's working on that. He just got a job, so that one might be a little bit slow, but that's awesome because I have so many other ones that are coming my way. I know Duncan Ralston is finishing up his Ghostland, trying not to die. Caitlin was talking about hers being getting close to finished. I still got to plug into all these other ones. So, yeah, got a lot going on. But I'm also excited because I finally reconnected with Steve Montgomery. Super Trying Not to Die Super High was supposed to be book four. I thought it was going to be book four. We were making great progress. And then the pandemic hit and... Steve's situation changed. Now he has he's running two businesses, you know, going back and forth from North Carolina, I think, to Florida. So he's traveling all the time. He's doing all kinds of stuff. But I was telling him I didn't want to just let that book go. Not because I need it, but I, I, I keep putting in so much work. He did an awesome job with the story. I'd like to see it finished so he can have that and give it to friends and family and all that kind of stuff. Plus, make some money. And it will expand. Try not to die. Overall, so of course I want that. So we figured out a good way to do it. He thought we have two-hour conversations. We can knock out a lot. So instead of having to deal with the writing part of it, 
you know, we're just going to talk it through. I'll get exactly, I'll know exactly what he's thinking, what he wants, and then I'll be able to just put it right in there and we'll get this thing finished. So pretty exciting that I, well, we are going to have so many books coming out within the, just in the next year. And then the year after that, and then the year after that. So there are a lot of try not to dies coming your way. I was talking to my son about it. I mentioned to him, I was like, yeah, man, sometimes I get overwhelmed. I was like, I got 24 books at least to write after this. So not, it's probably more than that, but all the try not to dies, plus the four in my Messiah series, the tells of the blessed and broken, plus our fucked up little family, plus a couple other books. So got a lot of shit, but that's all right. That's totally all right. And if I die tomorrow, I never write another one. That's all right, too. So it is what it is. But hopefully I will not die tomorrow because then I wouldn't be able to celebrate my 15th wedding anniversary. That'd be a bummer, right? Fortunately, thanks to Sage Ricci for letting me know what the date was. He's tattooed it on my arm because I really, my wife said something like a week ago about our anniversary coming up. I was like, oh, thank God, because I forgot about that. Terrible with dates. But then I was like, how long has it been? Has it been like 14 years? And I looked, I was like, oh shit, 15 years. I got to do something special. So today I'm going to sneak out, get her a nice necklace or something like that. Neither one of us buys anything for each other. Neither one of us cares about stuff, really. <laughs> we wear the same as old clothes. And I don't know, we don't blow our money on stuff like that. But I'll get something nice for her. Then tomorrow night, we will do something cool. And that's why I'm recording this today on Thursday. So tomorrow I have all day free besides the call with Steve Montgomery in the morning. So that is pretty cool. Being able to knock out 15 years with someone, it hasn't necessarily been easy. I don't think any marriage is easy. I think living with another person is incredible, could be incredibly stressful. I think that alone is one of the reasons why marriages fail, not communicating enough. So we definitely have had our ups and downs, but I couldn't be any happier. I couldn't be more in love, more grateful. My wife is brilliant, caring, loving, understanding, puts up with me. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do this without her. If I hadn't met her, I would have, I met her shortly after, I wasn't even divorced yet, but I, so I had a previous marriage. I went south after like four years, it wasn't a great start with, and I met Jen shortly thereafter because I knew what I didn't want, and I knew what I wanted, and I found her, and love at first sight. It was, yeah, I usually think that's bullshit, but it really was. So we met online. I was attracted to her, her profile, her photo, all that, but it was meeting in person where I knew right then I was like, okay, this person is special. I want to spend time with her. I want to get to know her better. And so that is what we have done. And we've created an incredible life together. And I sometimes take that for granted. I don't appreciate it enough. So that's what tomorrow will be, celebrating that, making sure she knows just how much she is loved. Because, like a lot of men, I am not very good at expressing myself emotionally. Or, I should say, vocally at least. I'm, I've am i always been very good at writing love letters, stuff like that where I have time to think. But because expressing yourself was not something that I saw growing up, especially a man expressing themselves with anything other than anger, I have struggled with that. But... I am working on it. What else? What else? What else? All kinds of cool shit going on. Before I forget, 
the Brightside Book Club. That thing is coming up. So if you want to get in on it, that is September 25th. I will put Ashley's information down there. If you want to get in, just send her an email. She will send you the link for the meeting. And I will put all the times and that all that good stuff in there. So that would be awesome, especially if I can connect with some of the people that I've known for a long time. I say no from emails or from social media. I know it's not really knowing, but it feels like that. So if you guys could join us, that would be super cool. I got some reading in this week that I really enjoyed. I feel bad because I got this book a long time ago. I picked it up on Kindle from my friend Kevin David Anderson called Midnight Men, Supernatural Adventures of Earl and Dale. Problem is, I got it on Kindle. I forget I have books on Kindle. I don't like reading on Kindle. I just don't like to read online. I'd much rather have print. But when I was at one of the recent events that I did with Kevin, I picked up this book. And it's awesome. Also has joke books and stuff like that. So I wasn't ex- knowing like what to expect, whether or not our styles would be similar, if I like it at all. But it was awesome. There's nothing I would change in it. His characters, Dale and Earl, these rednecks, are funny. One of the things I really appreciate is Kevin just puts you right into the action. I don't like a lot of build-up in stories. I'd rather just be thrown into it and figure it out. If the characters are good, if the action's good which it isn't here, then I'm along for the ride. So yeah, I thought this was awesome. I want to know more. I want to continue the story. So that's definitely something to check out. And I was just looking at all the reviews on Amazon. This thing has awesome reviews, like over 64 ratings and it has like a 4.8. So, oh, 65 ratings because I did mine this morning. And remember, if you do read someone's book, especially an indie author, that would be super awesome to review it, to you know recommend to friends, to share on Facebook, whatever you can do to help indie authors would be awesome. We appreciate it. And regular authors too. We could, we could do that for traditional published authors as well. So that's what I read this week. This next week coming up, I had the chance to read Kevin's latest, Night Sounds. That's not out yet. It's an uncorrected proof, but I feel very special that I get to read it. So really looking forward to that. And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but Kevin is working on a try not to die. We have not signed the contract. We will sign the contract. I just been lazy getting it to him, but I'm very excited about writing with him. Our, our styles merge are going to merge perfectly. So if you do like my writing, you, I'm pretty sure you're going to like Kevin. So keep an eye out for night sounds. I don't know when that's going to be released. But you can pick up the Midnight Men now. And I heard the audiobook is supposed to be awesome. Also have some other quick books I'm going to read. Mondays are for meat from Catherine McGee. Just a really quick short story. But I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a fun one. Then I have two others from Brian Asman that I hadn't picked up. Nunchuck City and Neil Arcana. So those are next up on the list. I also picked up an anthology. Dead Bait 4. I'm not sure about that one. That one probably be the last. I'd rather read these ones first, then I'll get to the anthology. Who knows how long that's going to take, especially because I'm in full mode. Like, I want to fucking knock out Death Fest. And as soon as I do that, I'm going to knock out the next thing. But I do need to make time to read. I forget how important that is. And like, even reading Kevin's stuff, I was like, oh, yeah. No, I really like that. I really like that. I really like that. I need to make sure I'm doing that in my book. I need, to... so it's super helpful. You can always learn. And it's just enjoyable. It was just fun. It was good to laugh. So as people are having body parts chopped off. <laughs> All right. What else do we got going on in other exciting news? So I have been, yeah, I, I turned around, I think 
what, two weeks ago, I was talking about, or three weeks ago, I was talking about how angry I had been, how defensive I'd been getting. I really, like, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I did a good job of turning that around. And I think it's good to point out that, you know, it wasn't anything special. Like, so anyone could do it. It was me changing my perspective. It was me being more, like, with just being more mindful when I head out the door, when I know I'm going to take the kids to school, it's like, okay, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm not going to get defensive. So I'm telling me myself this all the time. Remember what my daughter says, like, yeah, even if it takes longer, it's cool. like, just think of it as time in the car to listen to music, you know, or to talk with her or to talk with Jake and to have more fun. So that's what I've been trying to do with the car ride. Just have more fun, just chill, not get frustrated, not get upset not get defensive. And that has made a big difference. Been trying to apply that to the rest of my life. That has been helping as well. The other day though, so doing great. Have an awesome day. I got a 3D printer and that is cool. I'm very excited about that. We're going to make some really cool stuff for books, but I broke a piece while I was trying to put it together. And then that just like ruined the rest of my day. I was just pissed off the rest of the day. I was like, how can I get so pissed off about something small? You know, it's not a big deal. It cost 10 bucks to buy a new one. But then I realized, you know, because it's easy. It would be very easy just to be like, oh, I'm just in a bad mood now. So the rest of the day is just screwed and whatever. But I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Why did I get so upset about it? Why am I letting this ruin my day? And I realized, I was like, well, because I've always kind of felt like, you know, I don't know how to put shit together that great, you know, not manly in that way. You know, I don't know shit about cars. I don't care about cars. Like I'll take it to mechanic, but you know, something like this is like, eh, I feel like I should be able to do it. And, and then I messed it up. So I think that probably triggered something big. And that's why I was so angry yesterday. But by the end of the day, you know, I'd gotten over it. I apologize for being grumpy and that's it. So just thought you should know if you have ideas of what I should make with my 3D printer, please send them to me. I decided I'm not touching eating no Messiah for a while because the first thing that came to me was making a crucifix dildo, which is from the book. Not because I want to just a crucifix dildo just to have, but because it's in the book. So I want to make at least one cool object for each book. Someone suggested, I think it was Emily suggested for trying to die in the Wizard's Tower to do Lucky's uh, medallion. I think that's a great idea. There are a lot of cool drawings in there. So yeah, thinking about, okay, what could I make for each of these books? So that is what is next. If you have any ideas, please hit me up. Other than that, I think I'm going to go because I want to write the newsletter today. Get that out early as well. So tomorrow is all about anniversary. And I'm trying to slide super high, but that's only a small part. All right, guys, I'm out of here. I hope you guys have an incredible weekend. I'm going to leave you with this short story from Somber Stroll called Crossing the Line. This is narrated by T. Quillen. Hope you guys enjoy it, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Crossing the Line There was nothing but sickness inside the ER, but it was too hot to wait outside for my ride. I grabbed a chair in the corner by the window, propped my elbow on the armrest and my throbbing hand against my chest. The aspirin had dulled some of the burning, but a raging headache made it difficult to keep my eyes open. When Gabe finally pulled up outside, I was a little more than irritated. 
The wooziness was still there when I walked to his truck, and it took me a bit to get in and do everything with my left hand. All I said was, they had me stitched up an hour ago. Gabe whipped a left out of the parking lot, stomped on the gas. You know how it is, I had to finish all the toe kicks before coming to get you. Well, what's the rush? The Johnsons aren't getting back till Tuesday. Gabe shrugged, kept his eyes on the road. Look, I just do what I'm told. I got here as fast as I could. I didn't care much for the way Gabe was acting. Like he'd forgotten I was the one who'd brought him into the business and taught him everything he knew. But I let it slide. It was a good thing to have hard-working employees. I thanked him for picking me up. Not a problem. So what'd the doctor say? Told me to get some better gloves and to start wearing a hard hat. Fucking know-it-all. Gabe took a left on 7th. How bad are your injuries? I pulled down the sun visor and checked my bandages in the mirror. Said my head's fine. That I was lucky the flat side of the 2x4 caught me. Probably have a headache for a day or two, though. What about your hand? You gonna be able to work? I held it so he could see the ball of white gauze wrapped around it. Just a little scratch. Yeah, right. I saw that blood. It was only seven stitches. You gonna be able to hold anything? Careful not to touch the gauze. I drew a line from the middle of my palm to the bottom of my thumb. Got the meaty part, but the cut wasn't deep. That's good. The Puerto Rican nurse didn't think so. She kept making the sign of the cross and saying, I cut right through my love line. That's not where your love line is. Gabe turned right on Cherry, then pointed toward the top of his palm. That's up here. She must have meant your lifeline. Everything was kind of fuzzy when she was talking, and to tell you the truth, I couldn't take my eyes off her tits. Man, you should have seen those knockers. Gabe didn't even crack his smile. I was busy working, remember? So what's going on with you? We were behind schedule before you got hurt, and now i got to work Saturday and Sunday for sure. You think I wanted to get hurt? I almost cut off my goddamn hand. I think you could have watched where you set up. You should have realized those beams weren't secure. I couldn't remember much about that morning, but I doubted I'd set up somewhere unsafe. I also couldn't remember when Gabe, or any other employee, had talked to me with such disrespect. I don't know what's going on with you, Gabe, but you better relax. If you need some time off, I'll bring someone on that won't bitch about it. Maybe Brad's got some buddies that'll be interested. You feeling okay? Maybe you got hit harder than you thought. Gabe slowed the truck and looked at me. I'm fine. We parked across the street from the Johnsons. Gabe cut the ignition and said, well, since you brought it up, you should know Brad's not too happy about this. Don't say nothing, but he's pretty pissed. That I got hurt? Are you kidding me? Brad? Look, man, I'm not trying to be a dick or nothing, but you gotta see it like he does. You already missed half a day, and who knows how much more you'll be out, not to mention the increase in the workers' comp. Those were all things any boss would contemplate, but Brad wasn't the goddamn boss. I jumped out of the truck and headed straight for the garage. Brad stood next to the Johnson's BMW, flexing while holding his cell phone, acting like he wasn't. 
Halfway there, I had to slow down, my balance all screwed up. The dizziness cleared with some deep breathing, and I continued until I was a few feet from Brad. Brad kept chit-chatting, acted like he didn't notice me standing there. I wasn't about to keep waiting like a fool, so I interrupted him mid-sentence. Brad. He motioned to his phone, kept on talking, raised his eyebrows as if to say I was retarded for not seeing he was busy. I said, get off the goddamn phone. Brad ended his call. His cheeks were red, but he kept his voice low. Are you serious? I wanted so bad to punch him square in the nose, but didn't trust my ability using my left. Are you kidding me? Brad shoved the phone into his pocket, puffed out his chest. What's your problem, Andy? Who the hell you think you're talking to? A scrawny little punk that's in serious need of an ass-kicking. Brad's eyes got big. Who put you in charge? When I'm off-site, Jonesy takes lead. And if he's not around, it goes to Gabe. You got that? Brad laughed, hard and long, sounding like a goddamn hyena. Jesus, Andy, you need to go home or go back to the hospital. I don't think that doctor should have released you. I don't give two shits what you think. Who the hell do you think you are? Your boss, Brad said, real serious. Now turn around, get in your car, and go home. You're lucky I don't fire you. My boss? This is some kind of joke, right? Where the hell are the cameras? I don't have time for this. Get out of here before I throw you out. Any other day, I would have picked up a hammer and told him to give it his best shot. But right then, I was having a hard time even keeping my feet. I'd deal with him later. The prick couldn't just let me walk away. Loud enough for everyone to hear, Brad said, And don't come back until you've got your head straight. Sorry, but we don't need any psychos on the site. It took everything I had not to turn around, but I kept walking until I was standing at my fire engine red F-350. When the door didn't open, I pulled out my keys and hit the unlock button. The door still wouldn't open, so I pressed the lock button to see if my remote was working. My truck didn't chime, but the primered El Camino across the street beeped. I've never seen that car before, but I figured one of my employees must have switched keys with me as some kind of a joke. I wasn't going to give them the show. As cool as I could, I walked over and glanced at the driver's side window, but I couldn't see past the thick coating of dust. When I started to get in, I noticed the sign in the back of my truck. Someone had scraped off the Andy's Carpentry Express logo and replaced it with one that read, Cabinets by Brad. They even put Brad's cell number down as the contact. I wanted to fire everyone but that wouldn't have been fair. No way would my whole crew have been involved. I was too well-respected for that shit. I got in the car, hoping to narrow down who was behind the childish prank. Whoever was doing it was a smoker, something I wouldn't tolerate on a job site and could barely handle anywhere else. Cigarette butts filled the ashtray. Disney stickers plastered the peeling dashboard, and inside the cup holder were a dozen pennies, submerged in a half inch of soda. Careful not to touch anything, I leaned across the seat and popped open the glove box. 
a handful of hot sauce packets, a stack of napkins, several crumpled and stained, tumbled out. It took some digging before I found the registration. I scratched off the hardened catch-up on the front of the slip. The yellowed piece of paper said I was the owner. This was no forgery like I'd ever seen. Either someone had gone way out of their way to screw with me, or I was losing it. There was no question I shouldn't be driving, but I needed to get home. I double-checked the registration to make certain the address in my head matched up with reality. The car started on the third try. The sun shining through the grimy windshield made my stomach flip, and I barely held on to my breakfast. I squinted my eyes and focused on Tanya. She had a bit of a temper and would be pissed at me for getting hurt, but she was a good woman. She'd take care of me and help sort things out, bring Sammy home from school. One of her 30 seconds hugs, exactly what I needed. There was a shiny Nissan Frontier in the driveway, so I parked on the street. I wondered how in the hell I got talked into buying un-American. And why wasn't there a booster seat in the back? A wave of paranoia washed over me at the front door. The key fit perfectly, but I was afraid to turn it. I pulled it together and went inside, leaned against the living room wall, no longer sure of anything. Had Tanya rearranged things or had it always been like this? What about the scattered toys I didn't remember buying and the missing big screen TV? A loud grunt came from the hallway. Maybe Tanya moving stuff in the bedroom. I pushed open the last door on the left. The woman on my bed was too thin to be Tanya. The dirty blonde was spread-eagled, holding her feet above her head like a malnourished infant discovering her toes. I didn't recognize the guy between her legs, but whoever it was, neither of them had business in my bedroom. Holding onto the doorframe with my good hand for support, I said, what the hell are you guys doing? The woman screamed and bucked the guy off. He hit the floor, scooped up his jeans, and dove out the window. She scrunched into a ball against the headboard and kept yelling. My head felt like it was going to burst. I said, calm down. She peeked over her forearm, her sea-green eyes unmistakable. What are you doing here? I hadn't seen her since high school. My very first girlfriend. Karen? The truck screeched out of the driveway and screamed down the street. Karen sat up, everything exposed. Why are you home so early? I pointed at my head, didn't think I could speak. Jesus Christ, Andy. Karen grabbed a hot pink waitress uniform off the Ikea nightstand. You're not even mad. You don't even care. I reached out for the dresser and steadied myself. Why are you here? Karen slid off the bed and onto the dirty yellow carpet I remembered as impeccably white shag. She stormed into the bathroom. You're such a spineless shit! I should have told Todd he could stay! The door slammed shut. Karen said some more things that don't need repeating. There were pictures over the dresser. Three, just like always. But these ones were different. The five-by-seven to the left was me and Karen at the prom we never went to. She'd been doing things she shouldn't have, so I called it off the week before. The largest was an 8 by 10 of the diner's Christmas party. Karen, with a Santa hat and rosy cheeks, the cook's big smiling face behind her shoulder, his hand planted right on her ass. There were four kids in the 5 by 7 to the right. The oldest boy looked about 12, and he was way too cute to be mine. 
The twins sitting in front of him were about eight or nine, my lump of a nose on both of them. By their feet was a baby girl. It was Sammy, but with brown hair and dull eyes. Not my Sammy. Over in the bathroom, Karen kept yelling. I was a coward. I was a pussy. She needed a real man. That's when I knew this was no joke. I knew that for sure, just like I knew it couldn't be real. In front of the 8x10 was a pack of Marlboros and a lighter. I grabbed them both and sat on the bed, did my best to block Karen out. The cigarette tasted like shit, but I still lit it and pulled long and hard. I held the smoke for five seconds, blew it out like an old pro, put out the cigarette on the sheets Karen just fucked on. I waited to see if it caught fire, but not because I cared. Whether or not I was crazy, this was my life. It didn't matter if it had always been this way or if it had just changed today. The sick feeling in my gut told me all that mattered was I was stuck with it. The lighter slipped from between my fingers, but I was fast, caught it with my right hand. A blast of pain making me yelp like a little girl. I dropped the lighter and watched the bandages go from white to red a thin line spreading across the meaty part of my palm. Across the lifeline the nurse kept harping on. I pulled out my pocket knife, sliced off the bandages. Three of the stitches had come undone, the blood oozing out of the small slit. I pursed my lips and ground my teeth. I put the blade under the first stitch and snapped it. I did the next three real quick to get it over with. Blood flowed from the wound, but I barely felt it. My mind was racing, trying to figure out what I should do. Karen called my name. When I didn't answer, she said it again. All the anger gone. I know you're still in there. My palm. That stupid little line that had been cut in half. I couldn't undo the cut, but I could make a new one. From the bathroom, Karen said, Todd means nothing to me. I love you. You know that. You have to. The blade plunged into the intersection of wound and lifeline. With a quarter inch of the blade beneath my skin, I dug the knife straight to the bottom of my middle finger I was pointing toward the bathroom door. Karen kept trying. Can you forgive me, baby? I dropped the knife on the deep red carpet that grew darker as the blood poured from my wound. The bathroom door opened. It wasn't Karen. It was someone else I hadn't seen in a long time. The person whose name was never spoken in this house. Ever. Not since the fight she had with her big sister, Tanya. I covered the knife with my boot, hid my hand against my thigh. Lisa was dressed like a lawyer, her dark brown hair up in a tight bun. She was as beautiful as I remembered, so smart and sophisticated in her glasses. She took one look at my head and asked, What's happened to you? She wasn't acting like it had been twelve years since I'd seen her. The time I pulled her off Tanya, but not before Lisa had left her mark. I couldn't imagine any reality where Lisa would be let in our house. I asked, Where's Tanya? Lisa stopped four feet away. Why would you ask that? My hand was leaking all over the satin sheets. I grabbed the bandage, held it as tight as I could. I'm not 
feeling very good. Lisa's voice went soft, just like it had been when she tried to convince me I deserved better than Tanya. She sat beside me, brought the sweetest breeze. It was hard to talk with my hand on fire, but I tried to explain. M mild concussion. Just not feeling myself today. Lisa put her hand on my neck, gave the lightest squeeze. You gonna be okay? You want me to kiss it? I'd had a crush on Lisa before I even met Tanya. It was hard not to say yes to that voice, that smell, that body. I hadn't said a word, but Lisa kissed me anyway, her dark red lips so soft on my cheek. She got up and offered her hands. Come on, baby. I'll make everything better. Too weak to resist, I got up with her holding my left hand, my right behind my back. Her arms wrapped around me, made me feel safe. You've got to be more careful out there. Gabe sounded pretty concerned. The dresser stood in front of me. The three picture frames right where they'd always been. A yellow lab in the first one. A blue bandana around his neck. His hair just combed. The other five by seven had been taken in the same studio. Me in a turtleneck. Lisa in a cashmere sweater. Both of us smiling. Lisa slid one hand around to my front. What's wrong, baby? The eight by ten was of our wedding up on a cliff overlooking the ocean. Lisa nuzzled into my neck and undid my belt buckle. That's better, she said. Relax. I wasn't relaxed. I was looking around the room. Not at the vases, the paintings, the rugs. I was searching for another picture. One with Sammy. Lisa pulled down my zipper. I took a step back. Her thin little hips and flat stomach told me everything I needed to know. But I asked anyway. We... We have any kids? Lisa sounded worried. You better sit down. I said, no kids, no Sammy. She was staring at the bloody knife, the puddle around it. Andy, you're scaring me. Let's get you to the hospital. I snatched up the knife and brought my mangled hand onto my lap, the bandage so heavy with blood. Lisa gasped. What are you doing? I said, It's not you. She screamed. Put it down! The blade hit bone. Almost made me pass out. I drugged the knife through my flesh and fell to the floor. My knees a loud bang on the hardwood. A woman shouted, Jesus Christ, Andy, what are you doing? I looked up and saw Tanya. Despite all the pain, I'd never been so happy. Tanya ripped the sheet from the bed and wrapped my hand. She took the knife away and said, Are you crazy? I lost you. I lost you and Sammy. She kept pressure on my hand and pulled me to my feet. Well. I'm here now, she said, but we've got to get you to the hospital. Fine, but not the one on Main. She pulled me toward the hallway. We'll go to the closest one. You've lost a lot of blood. Is Sammy okay? Tanya turned toward me and said, Of course she is. 
I hadn't noticed it before, but the scar above Tanya's right eye was no longer just a scar. The whole area was depressed. That eye was made of glass. Tanya turned my chin to the side. What's that? I could barely think straight. I had no idea what she meant. I wanted to ask what happened to her face. If I hadn't been there to break up the fight, if I'd been too slow to get the rock away from Lisa. That's not my shade. I wiped at my cheek. Got blood everywhere. I didn't kiss you today. My hand. It's my hand. Her good eye glared. The knife clenched in her fist. Who was it? I took a step back and said, You don't understand. The blade was only four inches, but pointed at my heart. Who was it? Lisa kissed me, but Tanya pushed me onto the bed, leapt at me with the knife. My right hand was useless. With my left, I grabbed hold of her wrist, the blade trembling just inches from my chest. I shouted, You weren't here! Tanya raked her nails across my face, tried to gouge out my eye. I rolled us over so I was on top of her, but I lost the knife in the scuffle. I used my knees to pin down her left hand and her right. The knife was not in either. Her wheeze made me look up. The knife lodged in her throat. I tried to save her, but it was no use. First time Tanya ever gave up without a fight. I propped myself up, so I only see Tanya and the pictures. The pictures keep changing with each pass of the blade. But Tanya never moves.